Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. I welcome you to, to worship our God together and to think on Him and to study from His Word. It's quite a quite a big task, actually, to to begin to think about all the the wonders of, of life, to think about all the the wonders that, that this life provides that God has blessed us with. Be quite a long lesson if we began to just even sit down and begin to list those off. I'm almost feeling like Larry's kind of hoarding some of those. Next time there's a roast in the oven, my phone works just as well as yours does, I'm sure. I know, I know. So here we are. Welcome, 2018. 2018. So much better than last year. One, one whole number, one whole digit better. Are you prepared and ready for a whole new year? Are you thinking to yourself, wait a second, it's pretty much exactly the same as last year except for I'm using a different calendar? Okay, it pretty much is. How many of you have, have already written on a check or on something that you've had to, to sign the date, have written 2017? A few willing to admit it, a few that have and not willing to admit it, I can see. That's all right. We got, we got this new year, right? This, this, this first uh, Sunday here, this first month, we, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all new. So, so what does this year hold? What does this year hold for you? What, what plans do you have? What's in store for you? What's, what's reality going to look like? Is there, really, there's a lot of possibilities, right? There's almost endless possibilities. Uh, opportunities, things that are, are ahead of you for this for this entire year. So begin to think about them. You know what what do you have planned for this year? Is it is it going to be all good? It's always it's always wonderful. You know the beginning of of a new year, the beginning of a new uh, football season or hockey season. All the teams are talking about the opportunity that this year is going to be and how wonderful it's all going to turn out and how great it's going to be. And then they actually start playing the games and. Someone's got to lose, so not every team can go home saying, wow, this is the best year we've ever had. Especially if you're cheering for the Oilers right now. You know, you can't, you can't honestly say that they're doing, they're doing that great, but at the beginning of the year, it was going to be the best year ever. So is this year going to be all good for us? Well, there, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, there's going to be plenty of good. There's going to be a, a lot of great things that happen this year. And there's going to be some that aren't, aren't so good. There's going to be some bad things. There's going to be a lot of things that just make life seem real easy. There's probably going to be some things that make life hard. There's going to be times when we're just so full of joy that we, we literally just rejoice in the life that God has given us. But there's also going to be some times that are probably going to be hard. There's going to be some successes. There's going to be some, uh, some failures. And that's going to that's gonna play out over the course of this whole year. You don't look overly overjoyed about that. That's the reality of, of life, isn't it, though? I mean, there's going to be those ups and there's going to be downs. There's going to be times that seem really good and times that seem bad. And, and over the course of your life, you've experienced all of that. It shouldn't come as a shock, as a surprise to say that, that 2018 is going to unfold much as 2017 did or 2016 or 15 or... You've, can count backwards. All of those things, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out very similar. And so as we looked at 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, all of these times, 
the, the goal from this year is, is not just to seek those things and say, well, this year is only going to be a success if 85% of the time I was happy. Because you can't always, can't always control that. The question really is far easier than that, actually, about what this year is going to look like. And what our, our goals should be for this year. What, what this year should be as a success as we look forward to, to what's coming. And it has very little, it has nothing to do with whether we're going to be happy, whether it's going to be easy, whether it's going to be good or hard or any of those things. It's going to be whether or not we're, we're choosing to be faithful to our God. And I hope we, we understand and wrap our brains around that and that we always, that when planning for the year to come, when planning for the week or month or whatever to come, that we understand that the actual value of this life is always in choosing to be faithful to the God who created us. So when, when Larry talks about what's great about this life, it's such an important thing to remember. Because he says something else that was incredibly important there. Because that understanding of what good life holds brings us to what? To the sense of, of gratitude and worship and praise to our God, right? An understanding of what is actually important. One of my... No, Larry's talking about smells. One of my favorite smells is to walk into a into a, a, a home or wherever you come home, and there's fresh baked bread. I don't know of anyone who doesn't like the smell of fresh baked bread. Anyone? Anyone willing to admit they don't really? Okay, there's one. Uh, how about bacon? No, don't like bacon either. Hmm. That, that's a rarity right there. Uh, so there's probably something, but fresh baked bread or bacon or anything, you know, that just... Why? Why? I mean, it's just bread. How many times have you smelled bread in your lifetime? Or bacon, not enough, I can tell you. But how, how many times? So many times, countless times, over and over and over again. And yet every time there's this connection. Because God is great. God has made us to respond that way. But do we turn that over to an understanding of how good and great God is? Are we choosing to, to understand that we have to, in this year, 2018, whatever the year ends up being, that we walk in step with the Spirit, that we are faithful, that we love, that we, that we forgive, that we repent, that we bring glory to our God, that we bring glory to Him, that this will be a wonderful year if we spend it praising our God, Worshiping Him and how we speak, how we act, how we think, how we respond in certain situations, that we love and forgive and repent, all of those things, that we are kind and gentle and faithful and good, that this will be a wonderful year. And so you can say, well, wait a minute, what about all these things that could happen? All these things that you talked about earlier that said, well, it could be good, it could be bad. Yes, those things could happen. And will happen. But in the midst of them, are we still walking in step with the Spirit? Are we still bringing glory to our God? Are we praising His name? 
And if we are, this will be a wonderful year. This will be a tremendously positive year. Because we will have a faith in our God that is strong. And that we will exit 2018 in however many months. I know it's 12 or 8, but we, however many months we exit this year and it will be positive. And we'll usher in a new year, in a, a year from now, and it will, it will be another opportunity, another challenge. Just like each day is, each week, each month. To be faithful. So what a blessing it is then to have this year, isn't it? This day, this, this very moment to worship God. Isn't it? Isn't it a wonderful opportunity? You know, our God is, is beyond our measure to understand. And he has blessed us with all of these, you know, these truly unique and wonderful blessings. That sometimes we take for granted and sometimes we don't uh, appreciate it as much as we, we should. But just in the in time, the fact that we live in time, that we have each moment to glorify Him, to praise Him, to worship Him, to choose faith. That's a, that's a blessing. And I know we, we often yearn for what's ahead and we look forward to that. But we have a blessing in, in time. So, if this year holds health or sickness or heartache or joy or easy or hard situations, all of them can be used to be praising of God, to be faithful. Because, as we know, we are set apart. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be holy uh, because He is holy. We are called to be His people, His children. And we're stuck in this world that has sin all around us. We have uh, sin that is intermingled within our lives, and yet we are called to be unique in the world, to be set apart. Now, we can look back through Scripture, and we can look into the Old Testament and see uh, very clearly that the people of Israel were called to be set apart. They come into the Promised Land, and God tells them to do what? And sometimes we struggle with the reality of this, but God tells them to do what? There's other nations living in, in the land, but this is the Promised Land for the people of Israel. And so they come in, and they're told to, to eradicate all the people, to get rid of all of them. Because God wants them to be set apart. God wants them to be unique. God wants them to worship Him and Him alone. And he knows that if they keep all of these other gods, these other people, that they will eventually fall prey to that and give in to the temptation of worshiping these other gods. And so he wants them to be, to be clean from that. He wants them to worship him and him alone, for our God is a jealous God. He's called us much the same, to live in this world and to be surrounded by this world, but to not to live as part of this world, to be unique, to be set apart. So the people go into the land, and what do they do? Remember? They go in and they, and they do what? They spend a lot of time clearing out the land. Right? Do they clear it out totally? They, they spend a lot of time clearing out the land and, and, and yet they don't, they don't clear it out totally. They get to a point where they stop. And what ends up happening? As God has told them would happen, they end up falling away from God, right? They end up falling away from God and, and end up worshiping other gods. They end up forgetting God. In Judges, turn into Judges chapter uh, 13. We're going to see uh, uh, the birth of a judge in, in Judges chapter 13. But one of the things I want us to... Oh, we're going to read Judges 13, 1 through 5. But one of the things I want us to notice is the people of Israel. So Judges 13, 1 through 5, it says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the house of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. 
Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of of the Philistines. So God has called them to be set apart, to be unique, and, and to have no other gods before them. And very quickly, what happens? What does it say here, even in this, in this passage, is a reminder of things, this cycle that they go through. It says that they did evil in the, in the sight of the Lord. So they, they choose to reject God. They choose to go to these other, other gods. They choose to fall prey to this idol worship and, and all these other things that God had warned them against, and they still end up choosing these things. And so it tells us that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord is there. He is their God. He is witness to this. And because of that, what happens? The second part of verse 1 says, So that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a call for uniqueness. A call for holiness, a call to be set apart, to worship God and God alone. And when they did not do that, when they did not do that, they were handed over into the hands of the Philistines. Do we understand uh, the call for uniqueness for us? We look at the life of Samson and we clearly see the call for uniqueness that he was supposed to have, right? We, we know about his long hair. We know about uh, the vows that he was supposed to have. You know, don't touch anything uh, dead. Don't drink wine. All these things that he was, he was supposed to, to partake of, these vows that he had that made him unique and had this connection to God, and God had this connection to him that he gifted him this strength through that, through that connection. Do we understand the call for uniqueness that, that we have? That life is supposed to be and look different than the world around us. That we are to be good and gentle and kind and humble. Just, just those few things, loving and faithful, patience. All of those things that we're called to when we walk in step with the Spirit, do we see the uniqueness of life that that is? And I say uniqueness because we are called to be out of the world. When you look at the world in general, the wide road... Do they follow that same pattern, that same thought process that says, well, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be gentle, I'm going to be patient, I'm going to be loving, I'm going to be faithful. There may be parts of that, but is there a foundation built on that? How many of us love to drive in the city? I know there's people that love to drive in the city. I am not one of those people. Because, I don't know how I can say this nicely, but some people get behind the wheel and forget everything they've ever known about common sense. And it seems like you meet more of them when you're in, in the city. You're all smiling, waiting for me to tell you what I've done. Um, I don't know if I should. I was alone, so no one was there. Well, I mean, there's lots of people there. 
and uh, I ran a red light the other day. And, and you think to yourself, how can you do that? How can you know that there's lights coming? How, how can you, because you're just, actually what happened is I was looking at the lights beyond the lights, anticipating them turning green and realizing I gotta go through some lights before I get to those lights. Just, bam, common sense, right out the window. Do we have, do we have patience? You know the, the person who pulled out into the intersection going correctly? Had a remarkable amount of patience, actually. They just gave a little wave, and I said, well, that's, why are you waving at me in the middle of an intersection when, oh, you, I have, you have the right way, right? So, a remarkable amount of, of patience. Do we, do we have patience for that? I usually struggle with that, actually. It was a good lesson. Do we have love? Do we have kindness? Do we have faithfulness? Are we filled with joy to the point of rejoicing? Are we called to a uniqueness out of the world? One of the, one of the great things, and, and often kind of misquoted, is, is the idea of turning the other cheek. Or if someone, someone steals your, your, your cloak, what are you supposed to do? Give them your, your robe, give them your coat, you know? Turn the other cheek. Someone, someone hits you on the one, and what do you do? Here you go. Well, that, that's not the world we thought on that. It, does the church look like the world? It, it, the reality is it better not. We as the church better not look like the world. Are there going to be moments when we fail? Yeah, okay, we, we can always understand that that's true. But even in that, there's love and forgiveness and repentance and all of those things that, that clearly are, are not the world, that we are a part of something bigger and better and grander because we are called by God to this uniqueness. I hope we don't take that for granted. I hope we don't take that, that life, that, that uniqueness that we have for granted. Instead, that we are living a life that is an offering of praise to God. Because we have this opportunity to worship Him, to praise Him, to bring glory to Him. How great is your God? You know, I think this uh, says a lot about how we think about God when we try to describe how great He is. So just, you don't have to say it out loud, but, but think about how great your God is. How, how amazing is God? How wonderful is God? How, how much fear and reverence and awe do we have for God? When we have very little, then it doesn't really matter if we follow His commands, does it? Really, does it? If God's not very good or not very great or not very powerful or wonderful or we have very little belief in God, then it obviously doesn't matter then if we're going we're gonna to follow Him. But when we begin to see the truth of who God is, how wonderful, amazing, powerful God is, that we literally are in awe of Him, that we live in this reverent fear of Him, because we know, we want to, then we want to worship Him, don't we? we want to praise Him, we want to bring glory to Him. We want our lives to be an offering to Him. To be set apart for God. Satan sets a lot of a lot of snares, a lot of traps, a lot of temptations intended to, to make us fail, 
to set us back, to, to get us off a path that we, we know is, is narrow. And so sometimes it feels like that life is a twisty road. We sometimes wonder why, why it happens the way it does, why moments happen the way they do, why we have to deal with certain events, certain situations. And we can, we can, we can get all caught up in the, in the mystery of that, the riddle of that. And, and yet we, we know that our God is good. There's going to be things that we don't understand. You know, Samson, his life is like that. We're looking in Judges, and, and we see his life is like that. There's a lot that happens uh, in his life in the, in the little parts that were given. So not only does he tell a riddle, but his life is, is full of riddles. And do you remember the riddle that Satan, uh, Satan, uh, Samson tells? I'm glad we're recording those little mistakes. So. Do, you, do you remember the, the riddle that Samson tells? Anybody? Yep, good. Okay. So go into Judges, and, and what does he say in Judges chapter 14? If you didn't remember. Then Samson said to them, Let me pro propound a riddle to you, if you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out. Then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Propound your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. And they came on the fourth day, and they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband, so that he will tell us the riddle, or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me, and you do not love me. You have profounded a riddle uh, to the sons of my people, and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother, so should I tell you? However, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him so hard. So then she then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So we, we read this, this passage, and, and I find it interesting because the, not only is a riddle told, but there's something kind of confusing happening as well. Uh, we see this Samson is called to be unique, right? To be set apart. And what is his, what is his purpose as a judge? What's he supposed to be doing? Judging, okay. He's supposed to be bringing the, the people back. He's supposed to be telling them the things that they've done wrong and to lead them up out of the hands of the Philistines, right? Because the, the, they had done evil on the side of the Lord and God had handed them over to the Philistines and he was to be this judge that brought them back out of the hands of the Philistines and to lead them again once closer to God. And so what does Samson do? How is it then that as a judge for God, he can take for himself a Philistine wife? Does that not seem strange and odd? And you think to yourself, well, wait a, wait a minute. Is he not supposed to be leading God's people up out of the hands of the Philistines? He is. Does he not have a call from God? Does he not have a direct call from God on how he's supposed to act? 
how he's supposed to live, what he's supposed to be doing? I mean, we read that he does. We know that he does. He knows that, we know that he knows that he does. Yeah. It's not confusing. It's not like one of those things where he says, I'm not sure about what life's supposed to hold. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. Does this fall into that? Not, not really. What about the next bit after, after this kind of turns sour on him, right? This turns sour on him. And, and then what happens next? Again, what does he do? What do we see? We, well, we all know the story of Samson and Delilah very well. Again, is that something that, that fits in line with his call from God? To be set apart, to be unique, to, to lead the people, to judge the people, to, to help them up out of the hands of the Philistines? Does that fall into that call from God? Well, very clearly, no, no, it doesn't, right? And just like uh, the story we just read in Judges chapter 14, we see that that story also goes sour on him. It goes bad for him. Because he's not doing what God had called him to do. And he's falling prey to this, this temptation that is set before him, that we see him fall prey to again and again, that leads him away from the vows that he has before God, that leads him away from his uniqueness in the world. And ultimately leads him to the loss of that connection that he has with God that provides him his strength. And in part, I think he, he comes to the conclusion or he thinks that it's, that it's because of who he is that he has this strength. When really it's his connection to God that he has this strength. And when that is severed, when that is broken, he no longer has strength and he realizes his mistake. But he forgets. He forgets the uniqueness, the call that he had. You ever wondered where temptation comes from? Where, do, where does temptation come from? Now, the, the, the easy answer is, of course, that it comes from our enemy, right? It comes from Satan, the deceiver, the tempter. That, that lion that is set on devouring us, wanting us to fail, wanting us to spend an eternity away from our God from our Creator, wanting us to be under the same punishment that He is under. And that is true. He is a deceiver. He is a liar and a tempter. And yet part of that counsel comes from, from us. From providing a foothold. And then it comes from having a, a I thought that, that we could give in to the lie. That we would be happier or better off with something else more than what God offers. And so if we find our, ourselves uh, saying or giving in to the lie that, that we'd, be, we'd be happier if we were wealthier. Have you ever thought that? Man, I'd be so much happier if I was just wealthier. If I won the lottery next week, I would just be so much happier. Now, would some things that we have struggles with now be easier? Yes. Some of the, the bills that we have or some of the things we have to pay, that would be much easier. Would there be different temptations, different struggles, different heartaches? Yeah. 
Because if, if wealth was inherently the giver of happiness, would not the happiest people in the world be those who are wealthy? And are they? No. I mean, there's depression in, in Hollywood. There's depression amongst those that are, that are wealthy. So it doesn't inherently give happiness. Well, what about if I was, you know, if I was better looking, then I'd be hard to imagine. But if I was better looking, I'd be happier. I wasn't talking about me, I was talking about you guys. It'd be, be happier, right? Really? Is that, is that true? Is that inherently true? Well, again, some things would be easier and some things would be, would be much more difficult. What, what if I was more powerful? What if I would just, you know, I ran my own business and I, and I had all these minions that I could just, you go do this and you go do that and you go do this and that would just be uh, so much better. Again, not inherently the giver of happiness. What if I was smarter? You know, if I was just a couple like you, not just smarter, I'd be happier because I could figure things out a little easier. Again, not inherently the giver of happiness. In fact, I think that when we begin to look at this question, that we've got it mixed up. If what we are striving for is happiness. Because we know that none of those things inherently bring happiness. We know that. We know that going in. So why do we have this desire for them? If happiness we know is fleeting. Because we've bought into the lie that what we need to be is happy all the time. What would life be like if you were happy all the time? Would you appreciate happiness? Or would happiness just be meh? Think about it for a second. What would life be like if everyone was just happy all the time? You ever known anyone that was happy all the time? And you thought to yourself, what's wrong with this person? They can't be happy all the time, can they? Do they not take seriously anything? Do they, do they not feel the weight of this or that? Or do they not feel bad about this or that? Well, Happiness really, it sounds great, but isn't the goal. And that's, that's part of the lie that we fall into. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll desire this or I'll have this and it'll make you happy. And happy is good. Well, happy is good. But happy is fleeting. Happy is really actually hard to attain. Sometimes the craziest things make you happy. And the thing you think would make you happy, eh. Noah and I were playing crib the other day. And I don't know if you guys ever played crib, cribbage. Okay, you got to count out your points and... Noah put his peg in an absolutely absurd place for how many points he'd just gotten. And for some reason, it just tickled me funny. Because we had just started the game, and he got 20 points. And he put his peg at 18. And so confidently said, yep, 20, because he was all happy with himself for getting a hand of 20. And I just could not stop laughing that he had counted 20 points and put it at 18. If you had told me that that would make me happy for days and days and days, I would have thought you were crazy. But I can hardly contain my laughter now because he was so confident. Yep, 20. It's like, you didn't even put your peg past the little thing that says 20. Oh, that'll make me happy for a long time. But it's fleeting, right? Happiness is... So, so then if we're not seeking happiness, if happiness is kind of a, of a lie, then what are we looking for? Well, don't fall prey to that lie. Look for joy. Look for peace with God. 
Look for things that last. Look for things that are attainable. That God has said, this is what you can be. Rejoice. Look for times of worship to God. Closeness to God. For those things will not fade. Those things won't come and go at the whim of, of society around you or life around you. We can have a closeness to our God. So we can live with love and kindness and goodness. Again, walking in step with the Spirit. So we know then that Samson, he falls prey to this and he loses that connection to God. He loses that strength. And he gets handed over to the Philistines. And he makes one last plea to God. And if you want to read it in Judges chapter 16, he makes that, that one last plea to God. To allow him again to have this strength. To allow him to fulfill the calling that he had been given. Do we understand what it is that we have an opportunity to come back to God? Because what if we fail in that uniqueness? What if we fail in that, in that call that God had given us? Just like Samson did. And, and all of a sudden we find ourselves desiring to come back to God. Does God provide an avenue in which we can come back to Him? Yeah, He does. He really does. God loves us and wants us to come back to Him. So He's, he's provided this avenue in which we can come back to Him. You think of the story of the prodigal son. When he realizes his mistake, he comes back to the father. And the father is looking for him and runs out to him. Provides him again with this opportunity to be a part of the family. And God calls us back. Samson, in the, in the story that we're reading or, or looking at, is willing to, he says, give me this one last time. This one last opportunity. He's willing to literally give his life to fulfill that call. And it says that in that moment... He destroyed more Philistines than he had in any previous time. But he's willing to give of his life. Are we willing to sacrifice our life? And I'm not talking in a, in a physical sense, though that may come to that. Are we willing to be a living sacrifice for God? Are we willing then to, as we come back to God, understand the call to be unique, the call to be God, is that, God's, is that we are his children and we live for him then. And our life then is to be a worship to Him, a praise to Him, a closeness to Him. Are we willing to, to give our life to Him? How long did Samson uh, judge? Anyone remember the, at the end of Judges it tells us? What? 20 years. Okay. So... He, he was there for, for 20 years. Now, now we have these little, little capsule in his life of things that he did. The little capsule that we have, does it play out over 20 years? Like, is that 20 years worth of stuff? If we were going to, like, play it out in live action, would it take 20 years? Or do we just see little glimpses? Well, we understand. We see little glimpses. We kind of get maybe some highlights or some lowlights. We, we get to see parts of it. But he was this... Judge for 20 years, of which he probably did many, many other things. I hope we understand the, the fullness of that. That we are called to be this for all of these years. This closeness to God, that we're going to give our lives to Him for not just for the moments, not just for the highlights when people are, are watching, or not just for the, the moments where we have this big, huge planned event. But for all the times, for all the years, for all the moments. And whether that's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 
for another 50 years or however long <laughs> that we are his. So that starts here, 2018, this year that we've been given. It's just a year. It's just a moment. Are we going to be faithful in this moment, in the next, in the next, in the next? And again, build that foundation and take those steps one after another down a narrow path. I want to turn back into Hebrews if you'd like to follow along. We're going to, we're going to read again from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. For what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect.